You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to the Heart Sounds podcast for December 2022. This is the podcast where each month I fill you in on some of the top news in cardiology, letting you listen in on some of the interviews the TCTMD journalists did to write their stories. What a different year we had this year than last. Not only did we get to meet up in person together for the first time since 2019, we all had the chance to travel to in-person meetings and interview physicians face to face. Never again will I take that privilege for granted. For the December podcast, we have a long running tradition where I turn the microphone back on the TCTMD reporters to ask them about their standout stories of the year gone by. This year, as in other years, you'll hear from Caitlin Cox, Yael Maxwell, Laura McEwen, Todd Neal, and Michael O'Reardon, in that order. Without further ado, let's hear what they have to say about cardiology news in 2022. Hi, Caitlin. So welcome to the end of year podcast. What was your standout story from 2022? So for me, by far, my favorite story to pull together was my feature on climate cardiology, so to speak. Uh, That's just one phrase that people use to refer to it. But basically, a feature looking into all the many ways that climate change will affect heart health and medicine, uh, research, practice, etc. is really broad. This is actually an idea for a story that you had several years ago, and then COVID hit. And we thought, well, people aren't really thinking about this right now. But in a way, this has always been going on in the background, and I'm sure stayed on your mind. You know, what were some of the, the sort of real takeaways from it for you? So for me, the most interesting parts were the things that seemed less obvious, because we always think about temperature extremes and just outright strain from that, like extreme heat or extreme weather. But to me, what was more interesting was the idea that changes that are smaller that are actually already happening may be most impactful on people's health. Like, for example, people who live in the Pacific Northwest who don't have air conditionings, an even smaller rise in temperature for them could be riskier. Or the idea that people who are seeing wildfire smoke that usually have clean air could see more ill effects from the same amount as compared to people who live in areas that are polluted. So there's that. There's also the aspect of that this is system-wide. And that was one of the lessons that we learned from the COVID pandemic that I, I was kind of glad in the way that we had a chance to pause and do this later. Because one of the lessons was that so much of it is systems level. Uh, things like when we had uh, lack of continuity in care during the early parts of the pandemic. Um, that was an example of how global events can really trickle down into day-to-day practice. Um, and I, I think we're going to only see more of that going forward. And so it was a hard piece to write and that it was somewhat dispiriting, but it also, I tried to include ways that we could enact change from small steps to big steps, and also just some room for hope in that this is being talked about in the first place. Yeah. COVID by shining a light on so much inequity in healthcare and drawing a line between that and the ways in which climate change is affecting different people very differently and access to care as a result can be affected. I know, I think you and I are both on the same page with this, but the climate crisis is something that I feel like is always in the back of my mind. And even though the journalism that you and I do day to day is more focused on cardiovascular disease and health, this is probably the greatest threat 
to life on earth. And uh, that goes far beyond cardiology. So a, a story like yours that really tried to knit those two together, I just think was so timely and so important. And I hope that us talking about it today will make people go back and look for it. Let's just do a reminder for our readers what that one is called. It is Climate Cardiology, if not now, when? Thanks so much for telling us a bit about it today, Caitlin. Thank you. I was happy to revisit it. Let's hear from you, Yael Maxwell. What was your most interesting, most memorable story of 2022? So my story was kind of a series of stories looking at the first xenotransplant of a heart that was done at the beginning of this year. It was something I was alerted to shortly after we returned from break last year. And we don't cover too much, or we hadn't covered at that point too much transplant. So it was something that I really kind of had to dig into and learn a lot about, but it was really fascinating and led to six months, I'd say, of stories kind of following up on what happened with the original uh, surgery that was done back in January to some subsequent surgeries um, at another institution as well. Yeah. You covered the sort of breaking news of David Bennett getting this genetically modified pig's heart, and you covered the trajectory of that. But then also, I think you did a great job really capturing this groundswell of excitement over this type of transplant happening that many people had thought couldn't be possible. You know, earlier efforts had failed. And now they've sort of manipulated the, the genetics of it to make it possible. But you really zeroed in on the fact that, yay, we were so excited at first, but there are so many questions still to answer by following that story and getting some of the very cautious caveats that people were mentioning. Because at the time, the recipient, Mr. Bennett, was still alive. And I think people were a little bit reticent to express some doubts because they were rooting for him. Remind everybody, how long did he survive with that transplant? Sure. So he lived until March. It was just over two months. I was actually on vacation when I heard the news of him dying. And it was something that even though I was on vacation, I kind of felt in myself a little bit. It was just a story that I got really close to over a couple months, but it was a really long time. And there's, you know, been some retrospective look at, you know, what was the cause of death? Was it related to the heart? Was it something else? Cause he was, he was a really, really sick patient at the time of the xenotransplant. And, you know, it, it could have been a handful of things. So that was, you know, I think the people that were involved still call it a success because he did live over that acute period in which, um, if there had been rejection of the heart, say, uh, that would have shown up really, really soon after the procedure. And that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I actually went back and looked at this because we've never heard what the cause of death was. Is that right? That's never been released? I don't think officially. There were two other procedures done. This was at NYU over the summer, and it was on two brain dead patients. Their loved ones had decided to donate their body to this kind of research um, and those were successful as well. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll be following this um, more and more in the years to come as it continues to evolve. So thank you for reminding us about that today. Yeah, Ellen, people can find all your stories. And there was quite a series by searching the word xenotransplantation. Thanks for telling Thanks so us much. about it. Take care. Thank you. 
Welcome to the Heart Sounds Podcast for this annual tradition, Laura. Can you tell us what was your most memorable story or stories of the year, the year gone by? Sure. I mean, for me, I think it probably would be best CLI. So this was a trial that had a goal of comparing safety and efficacy of surgery and endovascular intervention for CLTI. And the results were presented at AHA. They were simultaneously published. And they were met with some controversy, not so much, I think, in the results, but more so in the interpretation. Yeah, and the execution of the trial. You said that the immediate reaction you got some from some of your sources was that they felt this trial wouldn't resolve all the questions. Just remind people why that was. Yeah, I think that um, people had a number of issues with how this trial was done um, with enrollment. There were questions about, well, you know, this enrollment doesn't seem to look like the type of patients that many of these endovascular specialists treat. Um, I didn't hear that so much from the surgeons, but definitely heard it from the endovascular specialists. They just felt that there was a, a group of people, patients who are very needy for these therapies who were kind of left out of this trial. Because surgery ultimately won in this trial. Uh, what will resolve this controversy though? Because you did a follow-up story, just checking back with people because this was, it was, I think at the VEATH sessions that there was a, a special meeting of the investigators. People obviously aren't completely satisfied. So, so what's next? What happens now? One thing that's really important is that the best CLI investigators announced that they did receive funding, that they will continue to dive into this trial and give a lot more results in the future. And when I spoke with one of the um, investigators, Dr. Rosenfield, he said, look for a lot more data that's going to be coming from us in the next year, two years or so, you're going to see a lot more. So I think that that's going to not necessarily settle anything, but it's going to make people feel a lot more comfortable that they can see more data than that what they saw when this was published. Yeah. And this is a population that we've written about more broadly before that really is underserved. Patients that were randomized in this trial may not necessarily represent the range of patients that are not getting timely care in the U.S. and beyond, as you've covered in the past. Well, thank you so much for reminding us. It sounds to me as if your most memorable story of 2022 might also end up being some memorable coverage in the years to come. So we'll hear more for sure from you, Laura. I'm definitely going to be writing about this in the future. There's no doubt about it. I would say that for people to um, find your coverage of that on TCTMD, they probably the easiest way would be to search CLTI and that trial would come up. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Todd Neal. Todd, welcome to the Heart Sounds podcast. We want to know what your most memorable story was of 2022. The story I would say was most memorable or most fulfilling maybe was uh, I wrote a story called Bloodlines. It was about people's thoughts, you know, cardiologists from different parts of the world, their thoughts on treating family members, close family members. It was interesting to see the variation around the world. It was most people, I would say most regions in the world, it's sort of frowned upon to treat close family members, uh, which seemed pretty consistent. But there were certain parts of the world where it was maybe expected that you would treat a close family member. Um, I spoke with interventional cardiologists in India 
who put five stents in her father, spoke with a cardiologist in Egypt who also performed diagnostic angio on on a on a parent um, and said that he would be, would have been willing to do a procedure on the, the same parent as well. So it was, it was just kind of interesting to see the the differences around the world. Yeah, I think for us, I mean, for you're in the US, I'm in Canada, but in our parts of the world, that idea, I think is you just have the sense I'm not a physician and nor are you, but that that would be frowned upon somehow. And I I have physicians in my own family. And I think I know that there's a line that somehow we don't cross um, in terms of medical advice is fine, but medical interventions, not so much. But reading your feature story, I really was struck by the people that said, if we are not going to treat our family members, how can we bring good quality care to people who we don't love? And I thought that was, I mean, that's a paraphrasing, but it was a, a statement that really stayed with me for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. It was just a sort of a different perspective. It, it seemed some people from, you know, the UK and the US horrified might be too strong a word, but they seem, you know, shocked that that somebody would consider taking a parent to the cath lab, for instance, where in India, for instance, it's expected if there's a physician in the family that sort of all medical decisions and care kind of flow through that person. And if it's their specialty, they're expected to actually perform any interventions and things like that. So it was that was interesting to see. Yeah. So this story ran back in March and people that want to go back and find it could search the word bloodlines. The full headline for that story was bloodlines. How far should cardiologists go in treating family? Thanks for reminding us about it today, Todd. Thanks for having me. Okay, Michael O'Reardon, you are on the Heart Sounds podcast, and you are here to tell us about your most memorable story of the year. I know you had lots to choose from, but where did you land? I landed on something that was probably one of the smaller studies of the year. It, it, it was a comparison of resuvastatin against very popular dietary supplements and placebo on lipid and inflammatory biomarkers. So it was sort of, you know, the types of things like garlic, there was also cinnamon, turmeric, plant sterols, red yeast, and the investigators wanted to do a comparison with these sort of compounds against prosubostatin just to see how they impacted LDL, cholesterol, and sort of some of the other biomarkers. So that was my favorite one of the year. Yeah, this was the sport trial. It was small, it was under 200 patients, but the idea, I think, as you heard from all the people you spoke with, is that they have so many patients that are spending a lot of money on all of these dietary supplements, and they wanted to see if A, they were helping, or B, they were causing harm. Yeah, it was actually really cool because everybody that I spoke with said that this was so common, like they always have patients that are taking these things and whether or not they're taking them in conjunction with statins or whether or not they're trying to substitute these over-the-counter sort of supplements is the major issue. So they wanted to basically see, to test it out, to see, are they any good? And it turns out they're not, they're kind of, they're kind of junky when it comes to sort of lowering LDL cholesterol levels compared with resuvastatin, which was highly effective in terms of lowering LDL. Didn't have any effect on high sensitivity CRP, but you know, resuvastatin was better for triglycerides. It was better for LDL cholesterol. It was better for some of the other non-LDL cholesterol parameters as well. When I had a chance to speak with Luke Laffin, he presented the results at the AHA and during the press conference. He said it was basically a coin flip as to whether or not 
these supplements increased or decreased LDL. If they decreased LDL, it was minuscule. There was no significant difference compared with placebo, but in fact, some of them actually increased it. So, I mean, it's going the wrong way when it comes to some of these lipid parameters. Yeah. And I think the other interesting theme that came out of that, which is kind of a broader theme of the whole year and actually going back a couple of years too, is of misinformation and that there's so much alternate medical information available online and that people may be following sources that haven't been vetted in clinical trials like this one. And yes, this was a small trial, but it really showed that these these things are probably a waste of money for most people. It speaks to the bigger evil that many physicians we speak with have pointed to, which is that alternative medical information is maybe uh, doing a lot of harm out there in the world. And, And your story touched on that as well. Yeah. One of the things that came up in the story was there's no oversight when it comes to sort of labels for a lot of these things. And you'll see them at different stores, different health food stores, heart, healthy, which whatever that means, you know, could mean almost anything. But, you know, when it comes to patients and that conversation around statins, a lot of doctors say that patients have already kind of been on Google, you know, and they've started to search side effects and they've started to, they come to the doctor's office sometimes with preconceived notions about muscle pain and myopathy and everything else. And they're just really resistant. And and it's an uphill battle for doctors that want to prescribe statins because a lot of people do come with these ideas that the drugs are harmful or they're going to be have side effects when there was research out this year that's showing that statin associated muscle pain is is relatively rare and it's reversible when when patients stop the drugs yeah and that was one other thing in your story i noticed is that actually some of these supplements might be marketed to help reduce those muscle pains and they don't um, they do not. No. So bottom line is, you know, you might be taking supplements for other reasons, and that might be all right, but don't take them to to cut your cholesterol. Hundred percent. Yeah, and I find too, as I get older as well. I mean, everybody's looking for kind of like slow down the aging process, you know. And so you're always thinking, oh, maybe this will help. But I've certainly wasted money in the past, but I don't <laughs> think I would waste money if I had, you know, elevated cholesterol or high blood pressure. I'd probably definitely. Uh, Make sure the doctor prescribes something rather than go to Whole Foods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and me both. I'll take my snake oil for other things, but not. Like yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank right. you for telling us about it, Mike. My pleasure. Thank you. That is it for the Heart Sounds podcast. Not only for the month of December, but also for 2022. I want to say a big thank you to my team. Being interviewed for this podcast is not their favorite activity of the year, but they are all good sports for indulging me each year. Props also go to Mamas Mamas, our senior clinical editor, for his help throughout the year. This month, Mamas sat down virtually with Dipti Itapuria and Nick Curzon to recap some of 2022's top trials for his Beyond the Data video series. Find that by scrolling down to the video section on TCTMD or under the video tab, which you can find at the top of the homepage. Many thanks also to Dan Goodman, Steve Angelino, and everyone else in CRF's multimedia team for producing this podcast each month, as well as our video programs and other podcasts throughout the year. Hannah Delabella and Samiha Hoke, who help with all things behind the scenes on TCTMD, also get a thank you. Finally, Stephanie Gutch, our digital team captain, for her unwavering support for TCTMD's editorial work. 
Last but not least, I am grateful to all the physicians and allied health folks who make time to be interviewed for the work we do, and of course, who read, listen, and watch what we produce. Thank you for all that you do out there in the big wide world of cardiology. Happy holidays, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Heart Sounds. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.